Thank you. Thank you, Fred. And thank all of you. Uh, wasn't that a fun video? Good job, guys. Thank you, Fred, for a very uh, uh, informative update. Here we are at halftime. Can you believe it? Turn in your Bibles to Psalm 67. Psalm 67. It's a blessing for me to be a part of what I have experienced to be the most generous church in the world, Eastlake Community Church, a unique place, a special place. And uh, uh, I like that the pregame analysts got the score wrong early on, amen? They didn't have much confidence in us, did they? But God knows what he's doing, and he's up to something special. Um, We have been in this 18 months, as as you heard Fred and the others say, and I want to thank you for all of your participation and want you to know that we are excited and trusting in the Lord to uh, bring us uh, to a successful completion of this game here in the next year or two. (coughs) Excuse me. We defined multiplication a year and a half ago Baby doll, I'm going to need that water bottle. We defined multiplication a year and a half ago as the work God does through his people that results in the supernatural expansion of gospel impact. Later, we refined that definition to the inexplicable supernatural expansion of the purposes of God in a life, a family, a church, or the world. Can I just say this morning that this is the way God works? This is the way God works? Someday they're going to invent something for pastors where they can take a drink and it's not noticeable. (laughs) Thank you, sweetie. And uh, I'm going to be the first to buy it. But anyways, you know God works in ways that are just supernatural and inexplicable. When you study the history of God's people, it's, the, it's, the, it's men and women of faith walking with God and God doing things that are, that are hard to describe. And I want to tell you guys, we are live, sometimes when you live an experience, it becomes mundane to you. I grew up with a sister who was, from the time I was, I, I was, she was three years old when I was born, and she could play the piano from the time she was three, so my entire life. So when we went places... And this eight-year-old girl was on stage playing for huge crowds. It was normal to me. I couldn't figure out why everybody was freaking out that this eight-year-old girl was playing because that was my sister and she played everywhere. What is the big deal? Doesn't everybody have an eight-year-old sister that does that? But So when you live in supernatural moments, sometimes they can become mundane. And, and I want you to know that what we have witnessed and experienced at Eastlake in the past few years, and particularly in the, past, in the first half of this, God is in the business of doing supernatural things right here. And uh, my wife and I have a sign somebody gave to us. I love it. It's a little wooden sign, and it said, these are the good old days. Amen? This, this is the moment that God has given us to do this, and it's the way God has always worked. But I believe he wants to even do more amongst us, among us. God is a big boy. He can handle all of this himself. God can do anything, anywhere, at any time, any way that he chooses. But he always chooses to work with his people and through his people. Did you know that? Even when he built the temple in the Old Testament, which was a billion-dollar building project. Can you imagine that? 
He used other people to provide. And he used individuals to do the labor. And so this is how God has chosen uh, to work. But this morning, I, wanna, I want to ask a question that will, will hopefully focus us. As you've seen the video, you heard Gary share a little bit. And Fred shared the, the specifics of this campaign. But I want to ask a question which is, I think, relevant to what we're doing. Because we are in the process of building a 55,000 square foot new facility that's going to serve the church, serve the school, serve the pastor's retreat uh, effort, and also serve this community. And that is no small undertaking, lest I need to tell you that. But in the middle of that project, God, as Fred shared, God opened the door for us to expedite the school project, and, and God provided to us a building. And, and, and this, is, this is not repainting the education wing, okay? We're not just taking and re- rearranging the chairs in, a, in an office wing of our... We are undertaking massive project, and the, the, the question that comes out of that is very complex, and here it is. Why? Isn't that a complex question? That wasn't complex. You didn't catch that. but No, the question is, why? That is a question. Have you ever got involved in something and then in the middle of that task ask yourself the question, why? Why did I decide to clean the garage out on this gorgeous Saturday and ruin my day and my next four or five days to put it all back together? Why did I tell the grandkids or the children I would babysit all ten grandkids for a week? Why? I'm involved, some of you know I'm working on uh, being a part of a triathlon next Saturday. You guys need to pray for me because I'm, uh, (coughs) excuse me, (coughs) there have been a few days in the the far distant past, (coughs) like the last 48 hours, that I've asked why. My buddy Cal Kalanian's pulling into my driveway in the morning before daylight and I see his lights and I'm going, Why? What are you doing here? We go down. We went down to Don and Sue's on Friday morning and walked down that steep driveway to the dock. And, and before we got to the bottom, she came out and said, "You may not want to swim today." Said it's a fishing tournament going on, and we got down there and boats were coming in and out of the cove about 250 miles an hour, <laughs> and it was raining and it was windy, and and I'm standing there looking at that water, thinking about my bed. Why do I want to get in that? You ever done that? Some of you might be asking the question in the course of this project that we're in. And why? Why are we doing this? Why are we thinking, why are we thinking big like this? Why are we being so aggressive? Why are we engaging so broadly? Why does a church have to have a school? Why are we planting other churches? Why are we worried about helping other pastors? Why are we involving ourselves in so much work? Why can't we just settle down with a nice new church building? All of us get our thinking into a monolithic pattern. Dress alike, think alike, cheer for the same teams, come to church, have a cute little homily, sing a little song, go home, feel a little better, exclude. Just why can't we be comfortable? Why not be satisfied? I've come to learn that there comes a point in the life 
of every church and Christian where they have to decide if they will hold on to their comfort or they will commit themselves to do what is difficult. The great men and women of God throughout the history of the church and in the Bible have all been men and women who've gone beyond their capabilities to do something exceeding and abundantly above they could, something they could imagine through the power of God at work in them. 1910, a man who had traveled the world, which was rare at that, not, it was, was not as common certainly then as it is now, but a, a man who had traveled the world, written Bible commentaries and, and, and a writer, was called to come to a little town in Indiana, central Indiana, to start a seminary where a, a high school had been established 50 years before that. Standing under the, standing under the, the, a tree in the front yard of the, of the college that I attended and graduated from, William Smith stood there. And he tells the story. He didn't want to come here to this God-forsaken, quiet place in the middle of nowhere. And he said, I had a conversation. I don't want to come here, God. And God, he said, asked me this question. Can you, William, can you not do something hard for me just once? And he heard the call of God. And he came there and established Union Bible Seminary that goes to this day under a different name for more than 100 years training men and women to serve the Lord in this world. Has trained university presidents. Can you not do something hard for me just once? You see, we've got this interesting perspective on the kingdom of God. And I want to talk about it for just a moment this morning. All I want to do today is I want to share from the scripture two what can be two competing kingdom realities that help us understand why. That help us understand why. I want to tell you a story and I want to pray with you and then we're going to leave. In Psalm 67, there are two kingdom realities that surface in the first couple verses that help us understand the approach and the philosophy for ministry that should mark every church and every Christian. Somehow, the church world has picked up the notion somewhere along the way that God is poor and desperate and the church can barely survive. Somehow the church world picked up along the way that in the church we can't really do anything extravagant or, 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 or impactful because we're just a very faithful few. That, and somewhere the church got an inferiority complex that they need to get over. And these verses hopefully will help us do, help, help the church do that. In Psalm 67, this is what David said. May God, verse 1, may God be gracious to us. And bless us and make his face to shine upon us, Selah. That your way may be known on earth and your saving power among all nations. Verse 3. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth, Selah. Let the people praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. In these verses, particularly in verses 1 and 2, we are given the answer to the why question. 
There are two kingdom realities that seem at times to pull one against the other, but they give us the way God operates in the world in verses 1 and 2. Let me give you those two kingdom realities, or you've already got them. Let me give them to you, and then we're going to talk about them for a moment. Here they are. Number one, God is an incredible giver who loves to pour out blessings upon his children. Somebody say amen. How many of you know that God is generous In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul is talking to the church about being generous, and this was his foundation for generosity. He said, you be generous because he who was rich, though he was rich, became poor so that we who are poor might be rich. That's the the foundation of generosity. And in these verses, verse 1 particular, it describes the kind of generosity that God shows towards his children. He's an incredible giver who loves to give to his children. But there's another reality that shows up in verse 2 that I think is harder for us to capture. Verse 2 really shows us that regardless of how big the blessings God brings in our life are, God expects his children to exercise great faith and sacrifice in expanding the glory and the gospel to the world. So here's the deal. We have, we have, we have, this is how we've adopted it in the world. We have said, if the Lord will bless us, follow me. If the Lord will bless us, then the work of the Lord will be easy. If, if the Lord will bless us, then the work of the Lord will, how many of you, how many of you like me? Come on, be honest. How many of you like me have said, Lord, just send the church $10 million? So Fred doesn't have to get up and give any more updates, and Troy doesn't have to preach any more sermons, and they don't have to make any more. You know what we're really saying? Lord, if you'll just bless us enough, you're not quite blessing us enough, but if you'll bless us enough, then we can finally get to where the work of the Lord is easy. How many of you know that God never intends for the work of the Lord to be easy? You know what we're really saying? We're saying, Lord, if you'll just solve all of our problems and provide all the money we could ever imagine in a a million years, then we won't have to, Lord. Just think about this, Lord. We won't have to pray as much. We won't have to trust you as much. We won't have to depend upon you quite as much. Now you're beginning to see why God doesn't just give you $50 million. Because the Lord is more concerned about our level of trust and sacrifice than he is our level of comfort. Somebody, did somebody hear that? How many of you know the Lord is more concerned about your level of trust and your level of sacrifice, your level of faith and your level of obedience? He's more concerned about that than he is your level of comfort and ease. Here's, according, and I'm just, I'm just preaching now. I don't have another service, so I can go wherever I want here, all right? Let me just tell you something this morning. If God dropped a billion dollars on Fred McCain, and he's got a bigger smile than he had a while ago, Fred, I believe if God dropped a billion dollars on us, all he would do is extend our vision so that our faith would have to be exercised nonetheless. Are you with me this morning? You see, he says, may the Lord be gracious to you and may the Lord bless you and may the Lord make his face to shine upon you. And in the American Western worldview, we inserted a verse 1b. And we we inserted this so that we can sit back and relax and not worry quite as much. And that's not what it says. In the Bible it says, so that all the nations, so that your way may be known on earth and your saving power among all nations. 
That's an enormous task. In the Old Testament, for, for the Lord's saving power to be made known among all the nations with no internet, no delivery services, no newspaper, for the Lord's saving power to be made known among, that was an enormous task. It's an enormous task now, but it's the purpose for which God blesses us. You know, God is an amazing giver. Actually, David is quoting in Psalm 67, verse 1, he's quoting what God told Moses to tell Aaron in Numbers chapter 6. God told Moses in Numbers chapter 6, he said, speak to Aaron. So Moses was the leader. Aaron was the pastor of the children of Israel. And he said, Moses, tell Aaron that when he prays for the people, this is how I want him to pray and David quotes that, Psalm 67, 1. May the Lord be gracious to you. May the Lord bless you. And may the Lord make his face to shine upon you. You see, God's, God's giving characteristics went all the way back to the beginning. In Genesis chapter 5, it says the Lord blessed Adam and Eve. It says that the Lord blessed Noah. The Lord blessed Abraham. The Lord blessed the people of God. Blessing and the work of the Lord go hand in hand, David's first psalm starts out by saying, Blessed are they who walk with the Lord. And all throughout Scripture from beginning to end, in Revelation 19, we're told at the very end, the first thing we're going to do when we enter into eternity is, is we're going to say, or the Revelation 19 says that they're going to say, Blessed are those who call to the marriage supper of the Lamb. The Lord's going to set us down for a glorious supper, and we're going to be blessed. Why? Because we have a giving, generous God who loves to bless His people. Turn to your neighbor right now and say, I'm really blessed, and that preacher's getting ready to tell you how blessed I am. Listen how blessed you are. David describes it. He says, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. David was a poet and a songwriter, but he wasn't just relying on good lyrics here. David was specifically describing three ways that God blesses every person. He said, may the Lord be gracious to us. That word gracious means to show mercy. Is anybody here this morning where the Lord has extended mercy when you, de- you deserve judgment? Anybody here like that this morning? It, it's a spiritual blessing. It's the Lord forgiving your sins and cleansing your heart and removing the punishment of sin. It's the Lord being gracious and merciful to you. And I got good news for you this morning. If you came here today and you're in the chapel or here or online and you have not received the mercy of God, you can be forgiven today through the gracious, merciful hand of a loving God. He'll wash your sins away. Lord, be gracious to it. How many of you need God's mercy every day? Jeremiah said the Lord's mercy is new every morning. David describes a second type of the way, a way that God gives to us. He said, Lord, be gracious to us. The Lord bless us. That word bless has to do with physical blessings. The Lord be gracious to us. The Lord bless us. This is the speaking of the real and tangible blessings that are ours through the power of God. Every talent you possess, every possession that you own, every prosperous reality in your life comes directly from the hand of God who created you and has shown mercy to you in Christ and then has heaped his blessings upon you. Isn't it good to to be living in a place of blessing from the Lord? 
God is God speaking well to us amounts to his doing well for us, Matthew Henry said. And thirdly, David said that the Lord would make his face to shine upon you. David describes the blessing of the presence of the Lord. Listen to me. The blessing of the presence of the Lord that fills and empowers and illuminates our life. Moses only caught a glimpse of the Lord as the Lord passed by. And the radiance of the Lord shone upon Moses, but it faded. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, but we have been filled with the Spirit of God. Daryl mentioned it on Wednesday night. And now that glory of the Lord that was on the outside shining upon Moses is now on the inside shining and brighter and brighter ever until the coming of the Lord. This is the blessing of the Lord. He has given you his presence in your life. He's been gracious to you. He's blessed you physically from the amazing priceless mercy that we have to the tangible benefits he gives us every day, breath and food and shelter and possessions, to the precious indwelling presence of God through the Holy Spirit in our life. God is a giving, gracious, generous God. Amen. Some of you, I would love, to, I would love it if we had the time that we could go around this room and hear the things that you've been able to enjoy in this life. Some of the things that you've, God has allowed you to enjoy in this life. Places you've seen, vacations you've been on, isn't God good and gracious to us? Even to get up this morning and see the sunrise and see the beautiful green grass and the green trees and no rain, hallelujah, amen. But oh, oh, we, all of that is God just doling it out to us. When times our marriage shouldn't have made it, we made it. In times our finances should have been a wreck, we made it. In times when our kids should have been this or that, we made it somehow. In the worst devastation of our life, God has carried us because God is a God who loves us and longs to give to us. Which brings us to the second kingdom principle that I mentioned a moment ago and that God expects his children to exercise great faith and sacrifice in expanding his glory and the gospel to the world. Verse 2 reminds us that the blessings of God in our life are for his purposes in the world, not ours. I don't, I, I, you, you turn, if you accidentally get on the wrong TV channel and the wrong preacher, you're going to hear some stuff, and it doesn't include verse 2. You're going to hear that the Lord wants to bless you and be gracious to you and pour out yachts upon you. All right? So that you deserve it because you had enough faith and you get whatever you, and oh, as though the goal of God's life is to make us happy. Can I tell you the goal of God's work in our life is not just our happiness. It is first and foremost our holiness and his glory. And can I tell you, you'll never be truly happy until you're first holy. Because unholiness and unrighteousness does not bring happiness. It is as Moses said in Hebrews chapter 11, he chose to suffer the afflictions of the people of God rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. And God wants to make us holy so that he can make us content and fulfilled in him. And the reason God blesses us, verse 2 shows us, is so that we will then in turn yield back to God whatever he's blessed us with so that we can expand his glory and his gospel to the world. That's the reason. That's the reason. And there's no, there's no distinction. Paul said, whatever you do in word or deed, whether you eat or sleep, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. 
While God does long to provide everything we need and he longs for us to enjoy our life, God also longs for us to get out of our comfort zone and walk by faith and exercise sacrificial dependence upon him that takes us beyond our own capacity into trusting him. All for the purposes of expanding his gospel. You know, these, this, this chapter, throw these up here if you would real quick, all four of them, Mikhail. This chapter shows us the purposes of God's blessing in our life. That the will of God would be, would be made known in the world. That all the nations of the world would experience the saving power of Jesus. That all the people of the world would praise God. That the nations of the world would experience the joy that comes from knowing God. This is the reason. And here's the deal. I said it a moment ago. We have this idea that if God would bless us enough, it could get easy. Why are we building a church and remodeling a school and blessing pastors and sending Nathan and Allison to Texas to plant another? Why? Why don't we just hold on here a minute and get comfortable? Because if, if, but if God ever, you know what? I'm, I'm just going to get sidetracked because I don't have another service, so it's all right, right? You know the number one reason churches don't plant churches? It's because they say we're not big enough. I've heard it with my own ears. When we get to a thousand, we'll plant a church. I promise you won't. I promise you won't. First of all, churches over a thousand are pretty, pretty demanding structures. If you won't do it at a hundred or five hundred or seven hundred, you won't do it at a thousand. I promise you won't. What you're really saying is if the Lord would bless me enough, then we won't have to sacrifice to do the work of the Lord. You show me somebody that did the work of the Lord, and I'll show you somebody that walked by faith beyond their own capacity and a sacrificial spirit that took them out of their own comfort zone. Abraham was maybe one of the wealthiest men that was alive on the face of the earth. And God said, hey, Abraham. Yes, Lord. Abram, rather. I want to take you on a journey. No problem. I got cattle. I got people. I got servants. I got everything. Where are we going, Lord? None of your business. Go. Whoa, wait a minute, Lord. Aren't you going to bless me with the wisdom and the knowledge and the direction? How many of you think that, you know what we think? We look back on those guys, Abraham, and the men and women of the Bible and the men and women of church history who now have statues of them somewhere. And we say, boy, they were just so blessed of God. They just sailed through life. Did you know those men and women walked by faith and stepped out in fear and did things that were supernatural because they were trusting God beyond their own capabilities? And the way God used Abraham was he, he stressed Abraham to Abraham's limit. He took him. Abraham had nothing but trust in God. He pushed Abraham's resources. He pushed Abraham's faith. He even took Abraham to the point where Abraham finally had the dearest possession of his life that had been given to him by God, his son Isaac. And God said, now Abraham, will you give me your son? You don't think Abraham walked by faith? You don't think Abraham was pressed to the limits? I'll tell you he was. Noah walked by faith. Noah exercised sacrificial spirit. David, you name a person. Moses, you name him through church history. You name a person who served the Lord, and they have walked by faith, and they have sacrificed. Why? Because that's the way God works. And sometimes our prayers are our prayers are. A little out of line, I believe, because we're praying. I, I, I wish I had the resources to drop five million bucks on this thing, okay? I don't. So I've been praying for somebody else with five million bucks to do it, right? You want to know why I'm doing that? Because that would make my life a little easier. 
Amen? That's my, I'd sleep a little better, wouldn't I, honey? But the Lord doesn't say, the Lord bless you and be gracious to you and make his face to shine upon you so you get all the sleep you need and you don't have to worry and you won't pray as much and you won't trust me as much and you don't have to depend on No, the Lord, the Lord keeps us in a place where we're saying, oh God, without you we can do nothing but with you all things are possible. You want to know why we're doing what we're doing? We're doing it because this is the way God works. One writer said it would be very wrong to let our charity end where it begins. Our love must, make, must take long marches and our prayers make a wide sweep. We must embrace the whole world in our intercession. Our possessions must be invested in the mission of Christ. Let me close with this. This name, if anybody here is pregnant and you're looking for baby names, here's a, here's a suggestion. Nicholas Ludwig von Zinzendorf. You can tell them that Pastor Troy gave me this idea. Nicholas Zinzendorf, known as Count Zinzendorf, was born in 1700, May of 1700. He was born into a family of Austrian nobility raised by his grandmother as his parents deceased at a young age. Although he showed an inclination towards the things of God and was raised in a pietist tradition, he was a count. His father was in government. He was expected to follow his father's footsteps into government, and he did. In 1721 of October, 17 of 21, became the king's judicial counselor at Dresden. After the, uh, less than a year at court, he bought the estate of his grandmother, hoping to form a Christian community. He, he wanted to have a place where oppressed Christians, what would be considered today Bible-believing evangelical Christians in that day, were being persecuted. He wanted to bring them in to his place, build a community. And he did. He began to bring them in, and he, he built this community. He called it Hernhut, which means the Lord's Watch. After he finished the university, he took a trip through Europe. His family sent him through Europe so he could become cultured and, and understand the rest of the world. Something unexpected happened. At the Art Museum of Dusseldorf, he saw a painting by Domenico Fetti entitled Ecce Homo, which means Behold the Man. It was a picture of Christ with the crown of thorns pressed down on his head and blood running down his face. Beneath the portrait were the words, I have done this for you. What have you done for me? All of his life, Zinzendorf looked back to that encounter as utterly life-changing. As he stood there, as it were, watching, he said, as watching my Savior suffer and bleed all over again, he said to himself, I have loved the Lord for a long time. But I've never actually done anything for him. From now on, I will do whatever he leads me to do. Zinzendorf's passion for Jesus grew, and his passion for the lost grew as well. He determined to evangelize the world with a handful of saints, equipping only with the burning love of Jesus and the power of prayer. The Moravian Brotherhood readily received and perpetuated their, their, the passion of their leader, this group known as Moravians. The Moravians recognized that they were in debt to the world as the trustees of the gospel. They were taught to embrace a lifestyle of self-denial, sacrifice, and prompt obedience. Their motto was, our lamb has conquered, let us follow him. At once, once at a dinner, a slave, an African slave, 
was serving him and he Sinzendorf recognized that this man was a Christian and he approached him and said tell me how did you become a Christian and it was not custom for royalty or, or pomp and nobility to speak to us. This slave began to tell about the, the islands in the West Indies where he was from and how he had overheard on accident because the, 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 uh, the people, would, the, his owners would not let the slaves hear the gospel. But he had heard the gospel and he had received Christ. Zinzendorf went back and shared that story. And on October 8, 1732, a Dutch ship left Copenhagen Harbor bound for the West Indies. On board were two Moravian missionaries, John Dober and David Nitschman. Both were skilled speakers, men of nobility. They were told, you won't be able to minister to the slaves. And this is what they said, we will gladly sell ourselves into slavery so that we can share the gospel with the slaves. And as that ship, which held those two men, began to leave the port and their Moravian brothers and sisters were standing on shore. They cried out this mantra which became a mantra for them. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. Somebody might have asked them, why? Why are you getting on that ship maybe never to come back? Why? Would you consider selling yourself as a slave to share the gospel? This was their answer. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. They understood why they were blessed. They understood why they had been trained. They understood why God had poured out his blood. You know why they understood, what they understood? They understood that their life was to be spent serving and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is our day. This is our moment. This is the ministry that God has called me into. And if you want to know why are we going at it? Why are we working night and day? Why are we praying and preaching and engaging and capturing every moment we can? Why are we doing it? Why are we taking advantage of opportunities? I'll tell you why. So that the lamb may receive the reward for his suffering because my life is not about me this church is not about us this this stuff these buildings these are not about these are not about god blesses us with this building he's blessing us with that building why is he blessing so that we can go down there and think oh now it's easy now we got a big church we don't ever have any parking problems now no we're probably going to have parking problems down there just so you know why the reason he blesses us is so that the whole world may know of the gospel and the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen? And he's doing it because there are millions more like Jim who just less than two days ago in a small Bible study right around the corner from where we're at right now, a group that I lead on Fridays from 3 to 4, Jim, who's been coming about six or eight weeks, Jim gave his life to Christ. Amen. Listen, listen. That's a beautiful thing, but there are millions. Why are we training children? Why are we planting churches? Why, you know, after seeing that video that Nathan did, I'm not sure I want to send him to Dallas. Because that's hard work, and I don't know how to do that. But I would rather give him up so that he could lead one soul to Christ that would not otherwise hear. Why would we plant why why the answer is for the expansion and the propagation of the gospel of Jesus Christ amen
So at the close of this halftime service, normally during a capital campaign Sunday, you want to pray about money. We're not going to pray about money today. You know what we're going to pray? We're going to pray that the Holy Spirit of God will raise us up individually to be men and women who can expand the gospel and the kingdom of God. You know what we're going to pray today? We're going to pray that in the midst of choosing carpets and figuring out what goes where in the networking system of the church and and in the midst of getting building permits and trying to get this done and estimates and bids, we're going to pray that none of that obscures the real reason why we're doing what we're doing. Amen? Why are we doing it? Because I want Eastlake to become a hern hut, a place out of which will flow the gospel and the glory of God to the world. That's why we had a good first half. And that's why we're doing all that God has called us to do. Would you stand with me this morning? In the chapel, if you'd stand, I want you to do this. Let's just lift our hands together. And let's just start asking the Lord to bless us. Let's just spend a moment seeking Him. Would you do that? Just lift your hands and your voice to the Lord. Lord, we're here this morning at the close of the service. Oh God, we pray, praise you for the blessings. The blessings of the people that you provided. The blessings of the finances that you provided. The blessings of the, of the vision that you've entrusted to us. You've given us this, oh God. We don't own it. You own it. And we pray, Lord, this morning that as we stand here, that you would begin to burn afresh and anew at this halfway point, the reason why we're doing all of this. Lord, we're praying today that you would help us to keep our eyes close, closely fixed upon you. Keep us from disunity. Keep us from, from uh, getting off track and pursuing our own agendas, our own desires. Lord, I pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, that we would be a place that preaches the gospel, sends men and women around the globe. Young people are trained in Christian education with a worldview that honors and and, and glorifies God so that their lives might be used as powerful instruments for the kingdom of God. This is our prayer. Lord, would you rescue pastors? Would you help us to plant churches? Oh God, we do it. We do it so that All that you have done for us, we can give back to the best of our ability in grace and thanksgiving to you. Lord, make Eastlake a mighty instrument for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Father, we thank you for it. Thank you for every person, everyone who's engaged in any way, shape, or form. And bless them abundantly, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. For more information about Eastlake Community Church, please visit us online at eastlake-church.com or find us on your favorite social media platform at EastlakeSML. Thanks for joining us.